welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we are going to be looking at one of the most, probably famous, most well-known passages in all of Scripture. It probably goes right next to John 3.16 as one of the most well-known verses. It's been printed on many shirts. I'm sure bracelets have been made out of it. There's definitely on many coffee mugs that you girls can buy that are really cute with this calligraphy. Calligraphy? I can't say it, gosh. (laughs) This is going to be a rough night, guys. Uh, You know, they probably have those beautiful calligraphy, you know, things. Uh, This verse, you probably see it. But it really is. We hear it so much that, like like I said this last Sunday, if you were there, we hear the word grace so much. Um, or some verses so much that it becomes dull. It becomes white noise. Just like the white noise machine that keeps Eden asleep through the night. Um, and, and it's like we, we need to hear it afresh again. So Proverbs chapter 3. We've been in this series to look at pretty much what is wisdom. And what is the fool? What is foolishness? And how is it that we can be wise? Um, And ultimately, we know that when we speak of wisdom, wisdom isn't necessarily something that you can grasp. It's not like a material thing. Um, It is is a characteristic, yes, but in a sense, it is material because it's Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God. It is a person as well. And so when we look to Jesus Christ, we see the wisdom of God. And those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are united to Jesus. We're united in our life and in death. So all that is Jesus becomes ours. So the way that we can receive wisdom, ultimately, is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. So Proverbs 3, 1 through through 8. And tonight we're going to look at, the title of my message is, The Hearts of God's Children. The, The Hearts of God's Children. Now I'm not talking about your physical heart. I'm talking about, the very center of who you are. What are the marks? What are the distinguishing marks between God's children, those that are saved, Christians, the hearts of Christians, versus those that are not? And how can we be sure that we have a heart after God's own heart? How can we be sure that we are God's children? So let's read the passage tonight. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching. So a father is talking to his son. Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love, or that is covenantal love, and faithfulness forsake you. 
bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success or good rapport or repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. My son, my daughters, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be a healing to your flesh and medicine to your bones. So already in the text, you see that the word heart is kind of central. We see it right off the bat. Look at verse 1. It says, but let your heart keep my commandments, right? And then it also says in verse 3, write them, that is steadfast love and faithfulness, on the tablet of your heart. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. The heart of man is the core of who you are. It, it is the, it's the engine. If you, if you are a car, you are, you're, the engine of the car is your heart. It, without a heart changed... <laughs> Right, uh, I guess to go this way, there's a great distinction that lies between the heart of God's children, the hearts of those that are children of Adam and those that are children of Christ. There's a distinction. So if I were to put two Chevy Silverados O2 with 170,000 miles on it, which is exactly what I drive, and I put two of them next together, they look exactly the same, right? Or maybe one's got a lot more rust, but one doesn't have an engine, and, or a, a seized engine, and one has one that, that works, there's going to be a huge difference between the two, right? One is dead, literally. It can't run. And even though it might look really pretty on the outside, you know, it's still dead. It's not a car you're going to want to buy. But for believers, the Bible talks about our hearts, that when we trust in Jesus Christ, we're given a new heart. We're made alive. And so just as a, a car engine, is alive so you need it in order to live it's the core of who you are and and so what is it that distinguishes other than death and life i just kind of gave that away between the heart of man and the heart the heart of the children of adam and the hearts of children of christ there's a few verses i just want to draw out as to why the heart is so important jeremiah chapter 17 verse 10 says this about the heart of God's people. Verse 9, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The Lord, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. So God will judge man according to the deeds, according to their heart. Ezekiel eleven nineteen gives us the good news, though, because all of our hearts are deceitfully wicked. But Ezekiel 11 says this about the human heart, about our spiritual hearts, our spiritual lives. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says, And I, that is God, will give them, his people, one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Why? That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. 
and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. So God obviously cares about the heart. The heart encompasses your will, your desires, your thoughts, your thought life, your desired life, whatever you desire in life. Everything about you stems from the heart. Jesus says in Matthew chapter uh, 15, 18 through 20, says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I have a window into your spiritual lives by how you speak. That's what Jesus is saying. By how you live. And so you either, they're either those that are sons of Adam or children of wrath, Ephesians 2, that had a heart of stone. They're dead to the things of God. And there are those that are alive to the things of God. They have a heart of flesh, right? And so this obviously matters to God and matters to our passage that we trust the Lord with all of our hearts. So God cares about the hearts. And now, and, and why this is important is because just going back with the, the car illustration is that there are those, even tonight, there are those in our church that on the outside, they look like that they are a Christian. They, they, they have all the marks of being a Christian. They talk like a Christian. They smell like a Christian. They walk like a Christian. <laughs> but Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. You know what that means? So there's these tombs in the ancient Near East in Jerusalem that look so beautiful on the outside. But what are tombs filled with? Dead bones, right? So there are people, there are make-believers, there are those that look like a Christian but really aren't. And there's a great illustration of this in The Pilgrim's Progress. Anyone read the book before? Or seen the movie? I just started reading, watching that. Have you guys seen the new animated movie? It's free on Amazon. You should do it. Eden loves it. It's really great. We were watching it the other night. Um, that's my daughter, if you don't know who that is. Um, so Christian is walking with Faithful, and Faithful and, and Christian, they run into this man named Talkative. Talkative. Now you can kind of already guess this, this guy kind of likes to talk, right? And Talkative um, basically he gets in a conversation with Faithful, and he starts and faithful is just enamored. He's like, wow, this man is such a godly man. For they talked about what it means to be saved by grace through faith. They talked about regeneration. They talked about how awesome God is. And so talkative uh, really convinces faithful that he is a, a Christian. He's a fellow pilgrim going to the celestial city or the city of light. And so faithful runs a Christian. He's like, Christian, talkative's got to come with us. And then Christian's like, actually faithful. I know who that person is. And he says, he says this, his name is talkative and he dwelleth in our town. I wonder, this is kind of old English here. I wonder that you should be a stranger to him. Only I consider that our town is large. And he says, whose son is he? And he says, he's, he's, he's the son of Saywell. All right. So this guy that talks, he talks, he sounds good to people, but really his life does not demonstrate it. So faithful says, well, he seems like he's a pretty godly man. Christian says, that is to them that have not a thorough acquaintance with him, for he is best abroad. He is best abroad, near home, he is ugly enough. 
You're saying that he is a pretty man brings to my mind that I have observed in the work of the painter whose picture shows best at a distance, but when you get really close, it's really unpleasing. So you get the illustration. There's these people that they, they talk like they're Christians, but you get really close to their life. You look at their heart. They're not. So Faithful says, but I'm ready to think you are, are just kind of being a hard man. Why did you smile when I brought this up? And Christian says, God forbid that I should jest or joke about this, this matter or that I should accuse any falsely. I will give you a further discovery of him. This man is for any company and for any talk. And he talketh now with you, so he will talk when he's, at, when he's in the bar. And more drink he has. And the more these things that are in his mouth, he'll start talking. Religion has no place in his heart or house or conversation. All he hath lieth in his tongue, and his religion is to make noise. <laughs> Faithful says, what? Wow, so I'm a man greatly deceived. And this is the key. Deceived. You may be sure of it. Remember the proverb. They say, and they do not do what they say. But the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. He talks of prayer and of repentance, of faith and of the new birth. And he knows only to talk of them. I have been in his family and I have observed them both at home and abroad. And I know what I say of him is the truth. His house is empty of religion as the white of an egg is of savor. I don't know what that is, but I mean, it makes sense, all right? There is there neither prayer nor sign of repentance for sin. Yes, he's a brute of this kind. And he says he's a saint abroad, but a devil at home. So the whole point was this man tricked faithful into thinking he was a Christian. But when you get really close up to his life and his private life, he's a saint abroad, but a devil at home. And so this is why the heart of man matters. There are people who have religion on their tongue, but not in their heart. They have sound doctrine, yet they, are, they, they live like they're the devil's child everywhere else. They're, they're here on Wednesday night and on Sunday, but then they're different elsewhere. And like the Pharisees, they're whitewashed tombs. And so what are, we're just going to go through these quickly. What are the distinguishing marks of God's children. The hearts of God's children. The first thing is the hearts of God's children are demonstrated by wholehearted obedience. Not half-hearted obedience, but wholehearted obedience. We see this in our text. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And what is the result of those who obey God's commandments? Length of days and years of life, especially eternal life, and peace they will add to you. Peace. You want peace in your life? Peace comes through obeying God's commands. Now, you're like, hold up, JT. We're not saved by our works. You're right. But look at the context. Look at verse 1. Who, who is the Father talking to? Say it loudly. Come on, you can read the son, okay? So is so we're talking about a covenantal relationship. We're talking about a father and a son or a daughter, right? And so the context of this is someone who has already received Jesus Christ by faith, has trusted in, has trusted in Jesus Christ and has been adopted into the family of God. So you've been saved from the curse of the law by Jesus who became a curse so that... You may obey the law. There are some Christians that are like, ah, I'm saved by grace, and I don't need to obey the Ten Commandments anymore. I'm just going to live however I want. No. 
we are saved by grace and and the and our and our salvation is demonstrated by whether or not we obey God's law not to earn salvation but because we have been saved and so the christian the son or daughter of of God the child of God is one who obeys God from the heart you guys know what it means to obey from the heart versus someone who doesn't obey from the heart right you, you might do your chores at home to get something that you want to get rather than doing it because you want to honor God or your family. There's a story of this man who was traveling. I, I don't know the exact time. I read it in a commentary. But this man was traveling and he had to cross this river. And it was in the dead of winter and it was frozen over. And he didn't know. He didn't want to fall in. So he was very unsure. And so he starts crawling on his knees and he's going across this river. He's going really slow, and he's worried. And then he heard, hears this rustle and bustle behind him, and this whole this guy on a horse, and this whole carriage just comes running right past him on the thing, right? And so he was not trusting in the ice to hold him, right? It was it was a half-hearted trust, right? And that, and whereas the other man, wholehearted, right? He's like, boom, I'm doing this, right? And there, there's that aspect of when it comes to our obedience to Christ, that it needs to be from the heart because we love God, because, we, because of what he's done for us. Remember, I read Ezekiel eleven nineteen. God saves us by taking our heart of stone, that is our unbelieving heart, and giving us a heart of flesh for what purpose? That we may keep his statutes, that we may walk in obedience to him. He changes our hearts so that we may obey. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. I know you got your Bibles. I want to hear them. I want to hear them turning. John chapter 14. Jesus is about to die and he's giving his last words to his disciples. And he makes this amazing statement here. John 14 verses 21 Jesus says this, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, was hearing this, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. See, there's a progression here that those who have received the grace of, of salvation are those that also love to obey God's commands. And so when you're reading scripture, and we see this, the father, he's pleading with you, my son, my daughter, do not forget my teaching. Guard your heart. Keep my commandments. Why? For length of days and years and life will be added to you and peace will be added to you as well. And so I have to ask you the question, who are you listening to? Who or what has your ear? See, all of you, you all of you obey someone. Who has your ear?
Does God's word shape you? Does God's word and his commands have your ear? In 1 Peter 2, 1, it says that as, as newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so you also ought to do that. And that's a real life situation, a real life illustration for me right now. Eden eats seven times a day. And if she, she will die if she doesn't. You know, and so she's fully dependent upon the nutrients that my wife, through God and his providence, supply. And God has given us the milk of the word for us to feast on, like newborn babes. Who has your ear? Is it your friends? Who do you obey? I mean, it's pretty clear when you don't obey your parents, that's definitely one, that you're probably just obeying your own feelings and your own, how you feel about the situation. You are your own God. But those that obey the Lord recognize that their parents are also in authority over them, over you. And so, who has your ear? Does the Word of God or do, does the culture? And look what also it says. It says, but let your heart keep my commandments. The word keep means the guard. Uh, why do you need to guard your hearts so that you may have peace and length of days? And there's, you got to understand that the world and things in the world are trying to cut your life short. And you know what things cut your life short? They're called idols. They're called things that your heart attaches itself to. It's, it, an idol is anything that you put your trust in other than God, for your hope, your happiness, your security, and your significance. And so, who has your ear? Who are you trusting in? You need to guard your heart, otherwise your life will be cut short. Eternally? Could be. Unless you're a believer. Unless you're feasting on God's Word. You cannot live the Christian life without keeping God's commands. You need it. God's provided it for you for out of grace to you. And the cicadas say amen right now. That's what they're doing right now. So, that's verse 1. But then look at verse 3. It says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. And here it is you have the motivation. Why do you need to obey? Because how gracious and how loving God has been towards you. He has been faithful to you. He's never let you down. His promises will never end. And because of what Christ has done for you, you're like, of course, my Father in heaven, I want to obey you because I was an orphan. I was an enemy. I deserve to die and be cast into hell forever. But you and your gracious love has set your love upon me, has saved me, adopted me into your family based on nothing I have done. And now I want to live for you. That's, that's, should be our mindset. And so we need to write, what does it say? Bind steadfast love, bind faithfulness to our neck. Write them on the tablet of our heart. Preach to yourself the gospel. Preach to yourself the why you are to obey. So what? why? Look at verse 4. Why do we need to do this? So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. See, the problem with talkative in the story is that he said that he was a Christian, but his life was, was a living hell. And so, what do you think that, that was a witness to? How do you think of that witness to other non-believers who thought that he was a Christian? You know why some people can't stand the church? It's because they've run into talkatives. People who 
talk a big game about being a Christian, but whose lives are terrible, whose lives do not mat match with what they speak of. And what does it say here? Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Why? So that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And man. You will have peace with God and with others. Yes, the world will hate you. When you stand up for the gospel, you will be ridiculed, you will be made fun of. But at least they can't deny that you are a kind, loving person that will speak the truth in love and will be con and live consistently and not be a hypocrite. Because that's what talkative is, right? And so that's the first thing. We need to be, uh, the hearts of God's children manifest itself. They demonstrate the fact that they're God's children by wholehearted obedience. And secondly, they will manifest itself by wholehearted trust. So obedience and now trust. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make, your, make straight your paths. So we already talked about this familiar, familial relationship that the Father has with us, sons and daughters. We've been adopted and now we live the life by trust, the Christian life by trusting wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. I mean, imagine the day that I wanted to propose to Caitlin. Or how about this? Girls, would you say yes to any man that got down on their knee and said, Honey, I'm not so sure about you. I think I'm certain but I, I, I don't know, but, you know, I, 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 I think I love you. Will you marry me? No. 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 Junior is getting rowdy right now. <laughs> that's right. No, why? Because you're like, that's half-hearted. You don't love me with all your heart. You probably have another thing going on. You love your sports, your video games, or some other girl. Or I want all of your heart. Well, so does the Lord. Trust in the Lord with half of your heart. No, all of your heart. And so the wholehearted personal trust is the main difference between make-believers, the lost, and the true child of God. It, it comes down to who you are putting your faith in. We all know that faith is clinging to Christ. It's looking to Christ. It's resting in Christ. And sadly, there are many of you here that are not resting wholly in Christ. And sometimes as Christians, we do this. We jump on our bed to rest, but our leg is still on the ground. Right? We're not fully resting on the mattress. We're not fully clinging to the inner tube as you're being pulled by a boat right? Let's just say, right? You're clinging, you're holding on to it. It's like, if I let go, I'm going to die. But some of you are like, yeah, that's, that's fine. I'll half-heartedly do this. I'll fall into the rock river and hit a dead body on the way down. You know, I don't know, but you know, you wholehearted trust. Look at this. What demonstrates wholehearted trust? I don't think there's anything better than a child. Luke 18, 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. You know, children, they trust with all their heart. 
The child of God, like a baby, is fully reliant on their parents to guide, to nourish, to support, and to raise their child. And it is no different than us. We are fully reliant. Christians are to be fully reliant upon the Lord. In fact, the word trust here means to literally lay flat on your face, spread eagle, just like I'm laying before you, Lord. I, I, I don't put any of my faith or trust in myself. Look, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean, that is trust, in your own understanding. Are you reliant on the Lord? And so what's the nature of wholehearted trust? The first thing is that it is a complete trust. It's with all your heart. The second thing we see is that it is an exclusive trust. It's not a half trust in God and a half trust in yourself. It says in verse 6, what does it say? In some of your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. True trust in God acknowledges God in everything. How do we acknowledge God? I would say the main way Matthew Henry talks about prayer. And to acknowledge God in all of our ways is to, is to live a life of prayer. When, when, when things are good. So think about this. In all of your ways, acknowledge God. In your sports, acknowledging God. The way that He made you. The sport, the fun of it. Your, your teammates, the way that He's crafted your teammates. How, how beautifully and wonderfully made they are. And, and how God crafted them uniquely, giving them personalities, right? In, in your sports, how about school? Acknowledging God in your school or in your trials or when things go well or when things go bad. You are to acknowledge God. It's like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, another scene when he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And on the right side is pretty much hell. It's this pit over here. And then right on the other side is another pit. And if he takes one step to the right, he falls in. And if he steps one step to the left, he falls in. And then there's these hobgoblins and all these people. That, and he doesn't know where to go. And, and it's foggy. He can't even see. And so he has to walk like this through the valley of the shadow of death. And the only thing that could keep him through it, the book talks about this, is that he took up the weapon of all prayer. And he started to pray and to seek the Lord. And through prayer, got him through the, the valley of the shadow of death. And that's just a great example of how we are to walk the Christian life. In all of our ways, acknowledging him. And he will make straight your paths. Which is what happened to Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress. He made it. The problem is that your lives, you, live a, you walk a crooked path because in, in all of your ways, you acknowledge not God, but yourself. Oh, what are the things in your life that you are all, always acknowledging? What wisdom are you adhering to that is not from God? Because if we just flip this in, the world says, trust in yourself with all your heart and do not lean on any understanding of your parents or anyone older than you, and especially God. In all your ways, acknowledge yourself, and you will make your straight your paths. But we know that the opposite is true, right? So, a wholehearted trust. I love what Hebrews eleven six says. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. The Christian life is to be lived uh, of continual faith. And so the question I have for you is, do you let the Bible rule your thinking? Or do you merely just agree with the things of the Bible? 
and not obey them? Do you agree with them or do you obey them? The second thing is, when was the last time you took a risk for Jesus? It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Trusting in the Lord. You're going to be put in situations where you have to trust. And it's going to be risky. And you might get made fun of. You might get ridiculed. You might lose a starting position. You might get a bad grade in a class. I don't know what it is. But trusting in Him. And it's a, a good illustration of this. Is, is The way to grow in faith is kind of like a solar panel. The only way to grow is by looking to the sun. The way that you grow and that it builds energy is by looking to the sun, to acknowledge Him. And the more you bask in the sun... Anyone have solar panels on their house? Okay, some of you. Okay, like one person. Anyone know? Everyone knows what that is, right? Okay. The more you bask in the sun by faith, the Son of God, that is Jesus, and you come, the more you come to realize the utter power, holiness, and the heat of the sun, right? The more you do that, the more you'll be energized, but the more faith you'll be given. So the way you grow in faith is by looking to Jesus, by studying Him, by looking at His Word. And so the hearts of God's children, they, they demonstrate itself by wholehearted obedience, wholehearted trust, and lastly, wholehearted reverence. Wholehearted reverence. Look at this. I'm just going to end here. Verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and a refreshment to your bones. Here's the Christian life. Fear God, revere God, have reverence for God, live in awe of God, tremble before God, and turn away from evil. And you know what will happen? What does it say? It will be healing to your flesh and medicine to your bones. We live in a sin-sick world. And so, are you fearing God and turning away from evil? Or are you fearing man and turning to evil? <laughs> God's children are marked by the fear of the Lord and by repentance. And the difference between the child in the pew, uh, the child in, of God, and the Pharisee is that one reveres God in theory, but not experientially, not in reality. There are some people that talk like talking about a big game about how much they fear God, but they don't in their life. The way that they live, they do not fear God. They do not live quorum Deo. Anyone know Latin? Quorum. What does that mean? People raise their hand. Quorum Deo. I don't, I don't know what it means, but I do know Latin. But I don't know what that means. <laughs> it means before, living before the face of God. Before the face of God. Quorum Deo is what that means. And so we live all of life. With, so here's the point. We live all of life before the face of God. God is all-knowing and all-seeing, and He... He, he watches you, your thoughts, your life. And so, do you live in the fear of the Lord? And if you do that, you will inevitably turn away from evil. And when you do that, what does it say? Again, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The result of trusting in the Lord is fear, is reverence, is awe for who God is and a hatred towards sin. So do you see that in your life? Do you see that in your life? I get concerned 
that many of you, you say that you're a Christian, but you have no fear for God in your life. And I want to build that in you. To live with reverence. We, we treat God and the gospel like he's a joke, like, it, like it's some game. But this is real life. Souls are at stake. People will die that are here tonight. They will die and they will be received into heaven and some will not. They will spend eternity in hell for the wages of sin is death. And those who do not trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation will not live. Those who do not do that, but those who do will have eternal life. So, in the end, we need to live as if God is literally watching you, because He is. He's watching every single, every click, every like, every scroll, everything you've ever seen, every, every, every movie you've ever watched, every page of every book, of every word that you've ever read, Jesus knows it all. I think we forget that. And so as believers, remember, as sons and daughters of the King, we obey God because of what He's done for us. We live the life by wholehearted trust in Him, acknowledging Him in all of our ways. And lastly, by revering Him. It should have an effect on our lives, right? It's not just in word, but in deed. When we worship, there's affections, right? There's conviction of sin. All of these things are results of trusting in Jesus. And so, those are the three things that we see in the text. And the last thing I have to you is, if, you do not, if you're here and you realize, I have not been obeying the Lord's commands. I know I haven't. I've broken them this week. I know that I'm not trusting in Him. I've never trusted in Jesus ever in my life. I do not revere Him. I live, with, I live under my rule. I'm the God of my life. Your only hope is to look to Jesus Christ, your older brother. He's the firstborn of all creation, which means he is the heir to all things. And so those who look to Jesus by faith, who look to the Son of God by faith, all that is Christ becomes yours. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. He never, ever broke it. He lived a life of complete faith in God and His promises. He obeyed God to the end. He acknowledged Him in all of His ways. He walked the straight path straight to the cross for you and for me. He relied on God the whole entire way. He feared the Lord and He turned away from evil to the point where He actually took on evil and God the Father turned away from evil. He forsook His own Son. And that will, be, that will happen to you if you live a life of sin and you pursue it, you will be forsaken by God. He will turn away from evil. But Jesus Christ took your pain, your punishment, your sin in Himself on the cross so that you can live, so that you can obey with a whole heart, so that you can trust with a whole heart, so that you can revere Him. That's the good news of the gospel. And that's your only hope. Let's pray.